Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder, and I have Neil McKinnon here with me at the Bear's Den, which so far, I have to say, I think this is my favorite home lounge out of all the lounges here. Lion's Den's number two, but this one, this one is just, it's wonderful with the wood, the stone, the TV with the fishing on right now, above the fireplace. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. So thank you, Alan. Alan McKinnon, Neil's brother, who's hosting us today for this episode, as well as the previous episode that we recorded. I don't know if it's airing before. It probably is. That had Neil and Demetrius and Derek on talking about home lounges. So, Neil. Yes. Thanks for being on, my man. Oh, my pleasure. Believe me. Been looking forward to this. So, first question, what you smoking? Today, we're at the moment, second cigar this morning. This is a Perez Carrillo Pledge, which was 2020's Cigar of the Year, A Mighty Fine Smoke. And you said, I heard you say before we started recording, as you were pulling it out, that you got it in Cabo. Yeah, we, uh, when we were down in Cabo a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of us uh, were down there for Derek's golf tournament. And... Uh, One of our little favorite places to hang out down there is the uh, House of Habano, the cigar lounge in the marina in Cabo. So if you ever, any of you ever get down there, make sure you get in there and partake. It is a uh, fabulous lounge. The uh, people watching and the scenery are second to none, and the cigar selection is world class as well. Said you overpaid a little bit for <clears throat> well, for a little the box. bit. The owner was there, David, who is the owner of the shop, was there that day, and he had just gotten a shipment in of cigars and he was getting ready to place them on the rack and uh, somebody asked if he had gotten any of the pledges I think it was Alan asked if they had any of the pledges oh yeah I got eight boxes well, how much do you want for them you know we were all looking to buy some and so I I don't charge extra for them I charge what I pay for them so it ended up being $180 for a box that I checked online a couple days later and it was $107 a box so <laughs> We paid a premium, obviously, but you never look back. Your support. At the same time, though, I, I feel like when I pay more in person versus, you know, online. You enjoy I, I'm, it I'm, so much more. Yeah, but I also feel good that I'm supporting a local business. Like what I'm smoking oh, yeah. right now is when I was in Dallas over April, one of the lounges that we went to was The Ash. Rod Jones and Yale Kim and mm. those guys, mm. they're members at the Ash, and so I wanted to support the Ash. And this is one of their house blends, and oh, this is a nice, really oh, yeah. nice stick. Yeah, it's a good cigar. There's no question, and I, I'm not saying that $18 a stick is outrageous, but it was a little more than we would normally pay. Most of us buy online. Yeah. But we do support the local lounge that most of us hang out at, too. So. Yeah. So where'd you grow up? Well... I was actually born in Vancouver, British Columbia, and when my parents decided to move to Southern California, I was nine years old. And so I spent, I'll say, the first half of my life in Southern California. I'm 74 years old today, so I spent... Uh, you look good for 74. Well, I feel pretty good. It's, you know, hang out with the right people and uh, try and stay healthy and do those crazy things from time to time that keep you young. And I attribute most of my good health and good luck, if you will, to the the people I know and the family and friends that I have. 
So what kind of a kid were you growing up? <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I, I was the average kid, I guess. I, I was involved in sports in school. I was uh, a good student. I was brought up in a, a faithful family. My mom was, she was French-Canadian, so that should tell you something. She was very Catholic. I was brought up in that environment for the early years of my life, and uh, it was a very church-oriented family at that time. My dad was Presbyterian. But I was strongly exposed to the, the Catholic faith. And so, you know, started very young. And uh, I won't say it was, it was a forced lifestyle, but, you know, you went to church on Sundays whether you liked it or not. I went to parochial school for a few years, first through third grade. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade were in uh, public school and uh, then on to Catholic school. I was an altar boy. <laughs> which was an experience, not the experience you hear about today with a lot of people in the Catholic faith, but it was a great experience. I mean, um, I learned a lot about Christ and it, it served me well in my later years mm. or where I am today. So many people that I know that grew up Catholic, <laughs> tell me what you think. I don't know if it was in the environment, the priests, you know, the community that was around there, but so many are either really appreciative of that environment and it helped lay the foundation for who they are now versus they look back at that time with nothing but disdain and you know felt like whatever i certainly have no disdain for growing up catholic there were times that i've looked back on my faith as it was established as a catholic today i have a different outlook on a lot of it but still it's part of my cloth Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate the fact that I was brought up that way. Hmm. I never got to the point where I was a born-again Christian. Mm -hmm. I've been a Christian all my life. And, you know, even, even when I kind of walked away from the Catholic Church, if you will, the brick and mortar, I still had the faith that was instilled upon me. Hmm. But did get away from the brick and mortar and the, that part of the Catholic religion, but still fall back on it from time to time. How old were you when you stepped away from the brick and mortar faith? Probably, oh, let's see, probably 14, 15. Really? Did your, whole family, then, did your whole family, or did they give you the option to? No, they didn't give me the option. I still went to church, but boy, I would sit in the back and uh, leave the service a little sooner than maybe you were supposed to. And then as I got you know, 17, 18, when I was out on my own at 18, 19 years old, I really fell away from the church and somewhat the religion at that point too. I won't say I was a heathen, but <laughs> there were times when there, you could describe me that way. Hmm. Yeah, it was, it was easy to do for me. At that age, I was into a lot of different things growing up in Southern California. And, like what? Well, girls, drugs, alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, the pressures of that era. Plus, you know, that was also the Vietnam War era. Mm. So things were a lot different in this country then. I had actually joined the military, but I flunked my physical because I broke my hand on a guy's forehead uh, <laughs> right before I went down for my military physical. So I got a 4F class or a 1Y classification, which kept me out of the Air Force at the time, which I had joined. And uh, 
So that was a turning point in my life. I was able to stay home while a lot of friends weren't able to. Mm -hmm. So you know, growing up at that point in time in Southern California, there were certainly peer pressures. And, and I was socially involved uh, with a lot of great people, good friends, friends today. I mean, they're still friends. Some of them I've had for 55 years. Mm. Still very, very, very close friends. Mm. And not surprisingly, all men of faith today as well, which is interesting. Huh. We all went through a lot of the same issues. Young marriages, children, divorce, survived all of those things. And then uh, came back to Christ. I invited Christ back into my life in a more significant way at the point in time when my father was going through his last days. He mm. died of cancer at an early age. Uh, how old was, were you at the time? How old was I? Yeah. 25. Oh, wow. So he's been a significant part of my life for 50 years. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was a, a turning point in my life, if you will. It's also when I met my current wife, who I've been married to now for 46 years, who... Uh, has always been the love, of my, the love of my life, you know, yeah. John four sixteen, God so loves us that uh, those who live with love, love God and he them. Mm. So that's been significant in my life. 46 years is, uh, it's a lot of work, but boy, it certainly is worth every ounce of it. Mm. So tell me about your parents. Who were they? What, what, what did <clears throat> they dad. do? Who were they as people? The most loving caring parents you could ever imagine. My mom was a registered nurse and my dad later, well, he was, he worked a few different jobs in Canada, moved to the U.S. As I said, when I was nine years old, uh, more as a health issue because he had uh, tremendous back pain, mm. issues like that, and living up there was a little tougher. Moved to Southern California with an opportunity to get into business with uh, a very close friend of his and uh, end up with one of my uncles owning uh, a tire shop, Big O Tires. Well, at that time it was called OK Tires. Mm -hmm. And uh, had a tire shop. Went on from that to um, becoming, he got into the hospitality business and, and managed some hotels and things. But as I said, both loving parents, they worked all their lives so that myself, my brother, and my two sisters, our two sisters, could have the things that they needed, you know, whether it was schooling, whether it was uh, it just meals, clothing, everything we needed, we always had. And they lived their life simply for that. Mm. They sacrificed so much in their lives for us, they'll never be forgotten. I mean, mm. they raised four kids, myself being one of them, all of which have been very successful in life mm -hmm. because we had a great example set for us. Really? Yeah. So what number were you in the birth order? I was the oldest. Oh. I was the oldest and unfortunately. I knew I liked you. <laughs> you I, have a special, I have a special connection with firstborns. Yeah, and uh, it's it was difficult for my siblings because our dad died as young as he did. Fortunately, our mom... How old were your siblings when your dad passed? You were 25. I was 25. Alan? My sister was 20. And she was 19. He was 14. Alan was 14. I didn't and, realize, Alan, you were the baby. Yeah, he didn't really... Younger. Oh, okay. 
and then a sister that was younger than that. Yeah. Aside from the sister that's between Alan and I, they really didn't get to know our father that much. Mm. I kind of, I don't know whether Alan would agree to this, but I kind of ended up as the father figure for him at times. He's shaking, he's nodding his head yes. Yep. When I moved to Colorado, he put his worldly belongings on the last 18 inches of our moving trailer and moved out here with me. <laughs> so we've been inseparable for mm-hmm. since 78. And uh, How old were you when you came out here to Colorado? I've been here for 43 years, so I was 31. Mm. And uh, What brought you out here? Work and Southern California, basically. I mean... I was caught in that wanderlust of, you know, the John Denver thing. You know, everybody wanted to move to Colorado, the Rocky Mountain High. I had been out here. My wife's parents had moved out here previously. And um, I had some job opportunities to get into the food brokerage business versus retail. I was an executive with Ralph's Grocery Company in Southern Mm -hmm. California when I left there. And... uh, enjoyed the retail business. My background, my educational background was mechanical engineering. Really? I worked for Bell Helicopter for the years leading up to the end of the Vietnam War. And then when that ended, I was caught up in all the layoffs when the helicopter industry at that time, or the aircraft industry, wound back significantly and was offered a job with Boeing in Seattle. I knew I wasn't going to Seattle. I was offered a job. Why not Seattle? I wasn't wild about the weather. I liked the outdoors and everything, but I didn't care for the rain and, the, mm-hmm. and that. And so I had vacationed here, and Colorado had a, uh, an attraction that kind of drew me here. Mm-hmm. And my parent or my in-laws lived here at the time. So anyway, I, I, I don't even recall how I got into the, the food. I interviewed with a couple of food brokers. And what, what, what is food broker? A food broker is the manufacturer's representative to the, the trade, uh, both at the headquarter level and at the retail level. So we implemented all of the marketing and sales programs for the various manufacturers. And we, I went to work for the largest food broker in, the, in this region at the time. And uh, I got into that business, progressed rapidly through that business, and created a pretty significant career created programs in the brokerage industry. Ultimately, I got into ownership in in another company that we grew into the largest food broker in the region and one of the largest in the country. Had a large food service operation which sold to the restaurant trade and the institutional business, military, uh, and then we had a large retail business. We built it up to about a billion dollars in sales and ended up selling that. Got to retire very early in my life. and uh, How old were you? I was 54 when hmm. I retired. Retired you know, fully from that industry. I uh, had a tremendous buyout that put me in a position where I could relax and enjoy life. And My wealth I measure in friends and family. Obviously, you have to have money. But friends and family were more significant to me, and I wanted the time to, to enjoy that. Got three kids. Uh, two by my first marriage and one by this marriage. And uh, so I got to do more of that, got to do traveling, got to do all the things I enjoyed. And then I, I took a couple of small jobs uh, in the meantime, more hobbies than jobs. Mm. Uh, like what? After I, I retired, uh, we had a, a fairly big office building, and one of the people had to, I had to have his company move so that I could expand my office space. He owned a travel agency. He also owned a golf 
travel business mm -hmm. that he developed in 1989. And so I had made a few trips to Scotland and had some connections over there. I had actually better connections in Scotland with regards to golf than he did. And he asked me to come to work for him and run his golf division. And I said no for about three years, four years. And then ultimately one day I wanted something to do, so he, he caught me at a weak moment and said, we need to talk. And so he said, I want you to come and work for me on the golf side. And I said, well, after we discussed it, I said, okay, I'll do it on my time, at my house, on my computer, and then we'll just split whatever commissions there are. So I did that for 13 years as a hobby more than anything else, and being able to stay in connection with the people I knew in Scotland and Ireland. It took me around the world on a lot of different golf outings. Uh, Malaysia, Mexico, mm. Ireland, Wales, all the UK, you know, got to play golf in a lot of really first-class places around the world on several occasions. So I did that for a number of years and then uh, the world went crazy with COVID, the international travel took a hit. So I basically retired from that as well. As Alan can tell you, we've been on several outstanding golf trips and vacations, taking advantage of some of that. How'd you get into golf? You know, that's a great story. For me, my dad was an excellent golfer all of his life, and um, he wanted me to play golf. And at, growing up in Southern California, I was involved in sports, and I said, there's no way I'm gonna play golf. I'm not gonna go out and chase that white ball around. That just doesn't make sense to me at the time. And when he passed away, he left me his golf clubs. And so I went out with a couple guys that worked for me, with Ralph's, and uh, played golf. And my first round of golf on a regulation course, keeping total score, absolute, by the books, shot 99, or no, I shot 104, my mm -hmm. first round of golf ever. And so these guys are going, you've got to play. You've got to play golf. So I, you know, I took it up. and. And it became, with Ralph's, it was a, a situation where if you played golf, you got Wednesdays off as a manager. If you didn't play golf, you worked Wednesdays. So <laughs> to me, it kind of made sense. <laughs> so I got more into it then, and it was a game that I kind of picked up naturally. I began to really enjoy it and uh, enjoyed the fellowship with the guys that I played with. And, you know, four or five hours on a golf course. You can also learn more about a person in four hours on a golf course than you can a, a week sitting behind a conference table. So it was helpful in business for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, I often say, too, that one of the, the greatest regrets I have in my life is that I never did get to play golf with my father. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, and I've said that to many people, Steve Van Deest being one of them. I look at Derek right now because he has an opportunity in Cabo in a couple of weeks to play golf with his dad who he's never, never really played golf with. And he said, should I take my clubs? And I said, if your dad's taking his clubs and you don't take yours, you'll be forever regretful. Mm. And so, uh, you know, that, in a nutshell, that's where I've been and where I am. There's a lot in between, but you know, we haven't got a day to talk about all of it. No, we've got plenty of <laughs> we time. We've got plenty of time, I understand. We've got plenty of time. So let me go back to the death of your dad. How did that affect you? It affected me a lot. 
I was in between marriages at the time, and I saw the significance of the love between my mom and my dad. And it had a, a big impact on me. My dad and I, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he lived, he lived for several years after that diagnosis, but he did well for many years, but towards the end, he pretty much gave up. You know, he got to the point where the cure was worse than the, the illness. Yeah. But my mom was always there, and she did even more at that time to make sure that nothing interrupted the lives of myself and my siblings. And so that love was significant to me. And it was also my closeness to Christ at that time that changed my life dramatically. I mean, I met my current wife. She never got to meet my dad, which I you know, regret. She, mm. she knows my mom. She knew my mom. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I... I embody the good things in my dad hmm. as well. So my kids, my family, my friends are the things that were his family, his friends were the most significant things in his life. He was never a rich man. My family was never a wealthy family. They were a working family all their lives. And to me that, you know, that was part of the cloth that I was made of. How do you see, looking back, how did the loss of your father affect your siblings? You know, I think the fact that they never got to know him the way I did, they never got to have the conversations that we had. I know it affects my brother. Mm -hmm. The sister that, that is the next in line below me, and I don't think any of them were affected the way I was because they weren't exposed to it as much as I was. My mom tried to keep a lot of it away from the rest of the family. You know, the, the gravity of the situation. Mm. Um, Did she regret that afterwards? Because for, me, for yeah. me right now, having lost my wife 19 months ago, yep. and two teen boys, one of whom was the same age as your brother, Right they kind of knew the gravity of her health situation. But we really didn't say to the extent, I mean, it wasn't until that last month mm -hmm. that I told Matthew the story of being told by the doctor, Dr. Badish, the head of pulmonology at the University of Colorado Hospital Anschutz, that there was a very real possibility she wasn't going to be around to see Caleb graduate high school. And looking back, I wish I would have a few years prior, as they were mature enough, mm -hmm. kind of let them know, hey, cherish these moments, cherish them. And it wasn't until that last month, really, that I pulled Matthew in aside and I said, listen, this could take a turn for the worse, which it ultimately did. Yeah. See, I don't know that to say that she regretted it, I'm sure she pretty much felt that she was protecting the well-being of the family by not really discussing the fact that their dad might not be around. I don't, you'd have to ask Alan. And I don't think my sister really knew the gravity of it. Certainly Alan and my younger sister, I don't think she was sorry about that. That was just her style. You mm -hmm. know, it was, she was, um, as I said, a very faithful person. I'm sure she felt that God was going to take care of everything and things would be fine. Mm. But, uh, you know, she didn't want life to change. 
Let's talk about that first marriage. You obviously then got married young if you had two kids at 25. Yeah. It, uh, in Southern California, everybody got married young in my generation. You know, a lot of guys got married young thinking that would keep them out of the military. It, it did for some of them. Get married and have a kid real quick. You know, the government or the, the military wasn't anxious to take you away from your family. I did get married young. I uh, had two kids young. But the strain of life in Southern California and financial issues and all of those things led to a, a parting of my wife and I. We were high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you got married? I was 21. Mm. But a lot of the guys that I hung around with, a lot of the people that I knew, everybody was getting married. There were guys getting married at night as soon as I got out of high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just that generation. Um, it was too young. It was, I mean, in retrospect, although I know a lot of guys who are still married that got married at that point in time, I probably know a lot more that are not still married to their first wives. But it was an education. It was a, a very strong education. And of course, at that time, I was not close to Christ. Uh, you know, I was more tuned into going out and having a good time. And that was costly. Really? Yeah. But it also led me to the person that I'm married to today and very strong woman, very faithful woman, very, I wouldn't say religious, but she's obviously a believer. Beautiful lady, she puts up with me, I put up with her, and uh, you know, as I said earlier, Demetrius is smiling when when you said she puts up with me. (laughs) He knows. (laughs) But you know, it's the work that we both put in to making a marriage work that are so vitally important and so rewarding. Mm-hmm. As I said, you know, God is love and uh, those who live love live, live with God and He with them. So, it's the best thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Best person in my life. So before we started recording, couple of guys here were like, oh, there's some stories about Neil that need to be said. Gentlemen, what do I need to ask? Why don't you ask his brother? How he mistreated me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some stories there. I, when we were younger, living at home, I think I was... There's an 11-year difference between the two of you. Yeah, 11 years difference. And we shared a bedroom. And I... <laughs> I'd come home from a date, you know, I'd get home at one or, one or two in the morning and I'd wake him up and I'd tell him to go make me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd do that. I'd, just out of spite, I'd wake him up at four o'clock in the morning and tell him, get up, it's time to go to school, go get dressed, you know. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know, I, I was mean to him. In a loving way, of course. <laughs> <laughs> But then I know, I think he threw me under the bus one time too. I, I came home, we were supposed to go surfing the next morning. And so I come home, make sure everybody knows I'm home. It was late, but you know, I was supposed to be home at 10, 10.30 or something. I get home on time, make sure my mom and dad know I'm home, go to bed, close the door, grab my surfboard, sneak out a window, or no, I sneak out a window to go out with these guys till later in the night. I come home go to get my surfboard to go surfing at six in the morning and my surfboard's gone. And my mom and dad had it in their bedroom. I wasn't going anywhere that day. And I'm sure he threw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one of 
a few. <laughs> what else? We had a great relationship, though. He was a fun little brother. Mm. What's one of your favorite memories of being with your little brother? Of being with, oh, man. Whew, so many. I'll name off a few. Oh, our trips to Scotland, golfing outings, um, you know. What about stories when you were kids? Well, when we were kids, my mom and dad would go on vacations and stuff, and they, they always wanted all of us to go. All their vacations were in a car. You know, Piling four kids and two adults in a car was not my idea of a good time. So I used to always find an excuse not to go on those, and of course he had to go. Just, you know, Christmases. Christmas in our family was a big deal. Again, my mom and dad would work their tails off to make sure that whatever it was we wanted for Christmas, we had. So Christmases in our family were huge deals. And you know, we spent a lot of time at an aunt and uncle's house, back and forth for Christmases, their house, our house, their house, our, our place. Those were always great memories. So many great memories. I mean, just having him as a brother. Mm. Love him like a brother. <laughs> just, you know, I, to pull out one memory that just stands out, there's so many. And, you know, I think the Christmas is probably the most. Hmm. What else, gentlemen? Well, they are, they are well-known, legendary fishermen and bourbon drinkers. Hmm. They can, you, you don't want to try to go toe-to-toe with these two. <laughs> the Scotsman. Well, the, well yeah, we, we do have that. Our, we are Scottish by yeah. heritage. McKinnon. McKinnon, yep. Spelt with M-A-C, which mm-hmm. is the Scottish derivation. Um, McKinnon. McKinnon, yeah. Over there they go, oh, Mr. Mackinon. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Mackinon. Mackinon. Our grandparents migrated from uh, Scotland to Canada at a very a late stage in their life. But, uh, yeah, very strong Scottish heritage, and I guess that's where some of that comes from, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) Just very proud of our Scottish heritage, both of us. Really? Oh, yeah. So they came at a late age. Yeah, you know, I say late age. I lived for, I think, about a year with my grandfather. Never really got to know him. I was so young at the time. Lived in a, when my mom and dad so was your dad born in Canada? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did they come over with any other kids? or? No. Okay. No, both my dad and his brother were both born in Vancouver. Spent time back in Scotland for a little bit and then came back to Canada. Grew up there. Was in the Navy and also the Merchant Marine in Canada. And uh, so I never really got to know my grandfather, but spent some time there. But he passed away fairly early in his life as well. Mm. So... Having a grandfather that passed away early and a father that passed away early, mm-hmm. did you have some sort of expectation that you weren't going to be around? There was a time when I did, but then I, I think I've discovered that I have more of my mom's genes than my dad's, and she lived to be 92. So I kind of go along that line. I've, I've outlived my father by 14 years, so mm. something to be said, I guess, about that as well. Mm-hmm. I know it's an issue in his mind but mm-hmm. not so much mine. Hmm. Anything else, gentlemen? No. <laughs> well, 
Well, Come we'll on, Alan. There, there, there has to be an embarrassing story that the, you, you need me to have him at, to ask him. I remember that one about uh, Neil at uh, Cabo San Lucas when we were at the bar. Oh, Keith and I? Oh, jeez. Tell me that story. <laughs> okay, well, Keith Anderson, who's also one of the Holy Smokes guys in Castle Rock, very good friend, who I've had some adventures with. He and I were in Cabo. Oh, we actually drove down to Cabo from here. It, it, it was one of the more adventuresome things that I've done. My first trip to Cabo was in 1967. Drove down to Cabo. It revisited part of my adventure that mm -hmm. I took in 67. So him and I drove down. We were down there for almost two weeks. And uh, one night, he had never been to the office and so we decided we're going to go over to the office and have dinner and drinks over at the office. Well, we pulled into this valet parking lot, but we weren't going to valet. We just wanted to park. And the guy said, no, you can't park here. I said, well, why not? And he goes, well, this is valet, and you have to be going to the mango deck, which is right next to the office in Cabo. And, of course, we had already partaken for several hours at both the cigar lounge and a couple other places. So we decided, oh, well, we're going to go to the mango deck then. The guy, so the guy let us park there, and we go into the mango deck, and Keith orders up a couple shots of this really high-end tequila. The guy puts two glasses on the bar, and he takes the bottle, and he starts pouring it, and he's talking to a waitress, and he's pouring it all over the bar. And then he finally realizes what he's doing. He fills the glasses, and he hands us the glasses, and, and it's, there's this big puddle of this tequila laying on the bar and I said we can't let that go to waste so I leaned over and slurped it all up <laughs> off the bar <laughs> well, Keith got a picture of that which will live in infamy yeah. <laughs> so that we finished that shot and then we went next door to the office and had dinner and a couple more cocktails mm. that's the Scottish Mexican in me <laughs> So you've had success in business. Yes. What advice would you give for young holy smokers or <clears throat> Gen X holy smokers who are trying to make a go of it? Um, <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny because Derek calls me the sage. And I, I looked that up a while back. And uh, if you look at the definition of that, it's... Why'd you look it up? Because in my mind, I thought, he's calling me old. He's just using a different term. <laughs> but a sage, and I knew what it was, but I just wanted to confirm it. It's defined as wisdom, prudence, and common sense defines sage advice. Mm. And I would say that in my business career, those three things really guided me. You have to have a wisdom about what you're doing. You know, you can't be a financial advisor and try to become a mechanic overnight. You know, there are a lot of comparisons like that. But if you have some wisdom about what you're trying to do, if you have prudence, you know, think things through, learn. And if you have common sense, you can do pretty much anything you want to do. You know, you have to have, things have to be presented to you. And it was to me. But you have to have certainly common sense today. You have to have a wisdom, a certain amount of wisdom, which goes along with common sense. And be prudent. 
learn. Never stop learning. Learn from your people, learn from your bosses, learn from your subordinates, uh, learn from everybody, and then apply it. If you work hard, work smart, engage the people around you, you can be successful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight like a lot of, I, won't, you know, I hate to use the term millennials because it's, that, that kind of isolates one generation. There are several generations, I think, that, that believe just because I went to school, I can't help but be successful. Um, I, didn't have a, I don't have a college degree. Mm-hmm. Even though you were a mechanical engineer. I never got a degree in mechanical engineering, but that's what I was studying. Mm-hmm. But it was a job that was presented to me that more of my success in that field was, or you know, what little success I had in that field was, was generated by on the job, learning from the job, learning, mm-hmm. you know, picking up the experience that way. When I was with Ralph's, I started at the bottom in that job and through hard work and common sense, I became the youngest store manager they had ever promoted to store manager. I was the first single unmarried store manager in the history of the company. Mm. And it was just, you know, application, common sense, learn the job from the people around me, treat the people right, and a certain amount of luck. That was also at the point in time where Christ came back into my life, Mm -hmm. and he guided me in a lot of ways through that too. Mm. Talk about that. Talk about your born-again experience, your conversion, your coming back to faith. Mm-hmm. People ask me, you know, well, you know, people when I meet them for the first time, especially within the Holy Smokes group or any of the gatherings and stuff that we have, I say, you know, so where do you go to church? I don't go to a brick-and-mortar church anywhere. I talk to Christ every single day of my life. My church is my car, my kitchen, my house, my job, wherever I happen to be. Mm. And I never hesitate to ask for guidance, for help, and never hesitate to say thanks for the things that he's given me. And it was that way at, at work. You know, I, I ask for guidance all the time in handling people situations, job situations. He had his hand on my shoulder in everything I did. Mm. Going back to that wisdom, prudence, common sense, how did you seek out and try and develop those traits within you? It was something I believe my dad instilled in me. He was a sage too, especially towards the end of his life when him and I had a lot of really tough conversations when he was dying when he was on his deathbed, you know, the things that he instilled in me and the things that we talked about were, you know, don't be in a hurry to do everything that you're doing. And at that time I was advancing very fast with the company I was with. And he, Step back and be patient, you know. Treat the people with respect. You'll never go wrong if you treat people with respect. And he did that in his career. Everybody that knew my dad always said he was the kindest most understanding person they ever knew. Hmm. And so I took that to heart. And when it came from him, it, it was priceless advice. But it was also the same thing Christ was telling me. Hmm. So he, although my dad was not a practicing 
Christian, I will say. He, he was a very Christian man, but he never practiced a religion. He had Christ in his life, in his way. And he treated people as if Christ was, or had his hand on his shoulder as well. Mm. So. It's a wonderful example. It was for me. It's too bad he didn't get to live long enough to where he could pass those, that wisdom on to my siblings. I assume, though, you've tried to pass that on. I don't know. You have to ask him. Yes, I have tried. <laughs> it hasn't always worked, but, you know, I've tried. I've prayed over him quite a bit with his illnesses. And, you know, I've, I've been around when a couple of his issues have happened. And uh, there have been significant conversations with Christ on many occasions for him. So I just wanted to add uh, before... Uh Neil goes further how much uh, I still remember the first day I met him and I said man I like this guy and I remember the day he became part of Holy Smokes and it's been a huge asset to our group mm. and that also just to say that how much I appreciate his friendship and I don't think he understands how much I appreciate and love this guy so that's what I wanted to say I'll kind of add to that if I can before we get to rapid fire yeah I used to go into the smoke shop, smoker friendly. And I'd go in there and, you know, go back into the back room. I was in there three or four times having cigars with another friend of ours. And uh, I'd listen to these guys and it was like, man, I wish I could hang with these guys a little more and be part of what they're doing, you know, because it made sense to me. Mm. Um, I wanted to have that situation where I could talk spiritually and not be criticized or judged. And so Christ took me through that door one day and I got to meet Demetrius and Dean and a couple of the other guys and Demetrius asked me, would you be interested in joining Holy Smokes? I said, well, you know, I already knew what my answer was going to be, but I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. And, you know, is it something that I would truly be interested in? Well, he he gave me a couple minute spiel on it, and you know, it's like it was already predetermined. But I said, yeah, that sounds great. So mm. I got that thirty second vetting online and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, accepted it. And uh, yeah, it's been a great five plus years, and mm. it's been unbelievable. Neil McKinnon, let's get to rapid-fire questions. Oh, boy. Hey, everyone. I wanted to announce that we have Holy Smokes gear. That's right. We have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers, like for your vehicle or your travel humidor, magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time. Go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. 
Thanks. Rapid fire! Fire. Here. How's that stick treating you? It's still awesome. <laughs> it's a great cigar. If you haven't tried one. When did you first try cigars or pipe? My first cigar, probably 17, 18 years old. I got into smoking cigars more regularly 20 years ago. Well, actually more than that. When we were going to Scotland and playing golf overseas, we were always smoking cigars in the lounges over there, drinking whiskey, smoking cigars, smoking cigars on the golf course. And then I've been smoking cigars regularly for 20 plus years. Hmm. You ever try pipe? Yeah. My father-in-law was a huge pipe smoker. So just to placate him, I would smoke pipes from time to time <laughs> and he'd share his pipe tobacco with me. And, you know, he was, that was the only thing, the only vice he really had. So I enjoyed it with him from time to time, but never really got into the pipe thing. Favorite cigar? Probably Oliva Series V Milano. Mm. Very good cigar. I have a few left from a box that I got off of Cigar Bit a while ago. Oh, yeah. They're good. I just got a shipment last week on a, a bid that I won. Box up. Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? Probably that Arturo Fuente. The Fuente Fuente? What's that one? Uh, Opus X. Well, the Opus X, but it's that blue label Opus X. The, I can't even remember. The, about a $60, $70 cigar. Was it worth it? How do I say no? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a great cigar. I mean, it, yeah. there are so many good cigars today. You know, it's, it's hard for me to say that any cigar is not worth it. If you're smoking it by yourself, you might have a little different judgment of a cigar versus if you're sitting here smoking. I could be smoking a $2 cheap roll, but if I'm with the right people, it's a great cigar. Mm. Best dollar for dollar cigar that you get. Oh, man. <laughs> Best dollar for dollar. I'm talking about value? Yeah. There is a cigar that I buy by the bundle at Smoker Friendly. It's called the uh, Cuban Rejects. Bundle of 20, and they cost about $2 a stick. And it's a very good cigar. Hmm. It's a mild to medium cigar. It burns perfectly from tip to bottom. I mean, it just, you can smoke it all the way. And it's a good cigar. A bunch of the guys at the shop smoke them on a regular basis now. I mentioned the first time I tried them, I mentioned it to a couple guys and they all started buying bundles. All of a sudden the bundles became hard to get <laughs> my own worst enemy. <laughs> Where's your go-to place to get smokes? Uh, most of the time online cigar bid occasionally at smoker friendly, you know, taking care of the local business. Uh, but lately most of the bulk buys have been on cigar bid. Have a regular account there. Your splurge cigar. Oh. Opus X. Arturo Fuente. Mm. Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Right now it is Jameson Black Barrel Irish Whiskey. <laughs> I got Derek hooked on it too. 
most interesting person you've ever met through cigars? The most interesting guy, probably Demetrius. Demetrius would qualify for one of the most interesting men in the world. Yes, he would. <laughs> but, he, but he does not drink Dos Equis. <laughs> Best place you've ever smoked? Probably the front porch at the Marina Hotel in front of the 18th hole at Royal Troon. Where's Royal Troon? Scotland. Okay. <laughs> Best conversation over a cigar? Any Friday at Holy Smokes. Can't beat it. Most memorable cigar experience? Probably the day I got invited into Holy Smokes by Demetrius. Mm. Marvel or DC? Not into it? Not into it. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. You look like a Star Trek guy. Yeah. You seem like I'm a Star Trek guy. that generation. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite food? Lobster. Dogs, cats, neither, or both? Dogs, golden retrievers. Into sports? What are your teams? Well, Broncos, Avalanche, UCLA Bruins, UCLA. Um, Colorado Rockies, LA Dodgers. That's probably it. Nickname growing up? Mac. Mac. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I don't care for tequila. <laughs> Too many bad nights on tequila. <laughs> there was a tequila that you slurped up off of the... You have to understand what happened before that. <laughs> what that happened a, before that? That was a long night. <laughs> <laughs> Got to know that that was about midnight when that happened. After a long day at a cigar lounge and a couple of bars and with Keith Anderson. And if you know Keith Anderson, you know that that's a long day. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of cocktails. Are you a reader? No. Okay. Do you have a life scripture? A scripture that, you know, kind of encapsulates who you are or, or is super meaningful to you? Yeah, as I said earlier, John four sixteen that God so loved us that uh, if you live love, you live with God and God loves you. And to me, that's why I try. That's how I try to live my life, whether it's with my family or friends or employees or anybody I ever had. Love them like you want to be loved. And God will always love you. Mm. If you could be any animal, what would you be? One of my golden retrievers. <laughs> if you could live anywhere, where would you live? Positano, Italy. Ooh, why? It is, to me, the most relaxing place on earth. Uh, having been there a couple times and know, meeting so many of the people and experiencing life there, Although in short bursts, to me, it was not only a great place to live, but the people that do live there, and it's an older generation that actually lives there. To see these old guys every day dressed up in their suits, walk down to the beach morning, lunch, and evening, smoking cigars, drinking coffee, drinking wine. It was such a relaxed lifestyle that there's no reason, there's nothing in my mind that says these guys... First of all, they're all in their 90s and approaching 100 years old. They've all lived such a, a nice life, and they're, re they're so relaxed and living all the vices that I enjoy. To me, that just seemed like uh, the most beautiful place. First of all, it's on the Mediterranean. It's on the Amalfi Coast. It's, it was just 
spectacular. Mm. If I could live anywhere, that's where I would live. Mm. What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? My greatest strength, I think, is my people skills. And my greatest weakness at times is my impatience with people. Mm. Contrary to what I've said all along, there are times when I get very impatient with people and my wife has to remind me from time to time, that's not me. Mm. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? My dad. Your dad? He sounds like he was a special dude. He was. And I think, you know, I don't think I'm unique, unique in that sense that most, most guys I know would say the same thing. If they've had a decent family life, their dad has to have played an important part in it. Looking back at my life, there are all kinds of questions that I would ask my grandpa, who died when I was 22, I believe, mm. that I didn't even think of when I was 22. And I, I made it a regular thing. And whenever I'd drive home from church, my parents' church that they raised me in, and drove right by my grandparents' house, and I made a regular stop over there to hang out with them for 45 minutes, an hour, just hang out and find out how they're doing and that kind of stuff. And I'm so grateful that I did. But there are all kinds of questions that I would ask him now at 47 that I would never have thought of when I was 22. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in particular that if you had that chance to sit down with your dad one last time? What was the greatest influence on your life? Ooh. Where did your faith come from? Where did your strengths come from? Hmm. Was it your dad? Hmm. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful? Christ. Hmm. What do you do for self-care, to rest, to recharge? I would say, well, there are a couple things. I mean, I to go fly fishing for me, to spend time on the river, it's so cathartic. It's peaceful. It's called fishing, not catching in most cases. You know, it's, uh, you have a lot of time to think mm -hmm. and be introspective. Talk to Christ very often on the river mm -hmm. for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. What's the best type of cheese? Gruyere. Mm. How do you want to be remembered? As a caring person, a family person, one who treats people the way he wanted to be treated. I love to make people laugh, for one thing. And I'd like to be remembered as somebody who could make people laugh. Mm. I think it's, uh, it is also very cathartic. And um, I'm pretty lighthearted and like to expose people to that. Hmm. All right, last three questions. Hmm. What does Holy Smokes mean to you, and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? Well, Holy Smokes to me, is, as we've, we've talked amongst ourselves here, is it's a fellowship that myself and people who are honestly into it have an opportunity to talk among friends, never have to worry about their political or religious views. They'll never be criticized for it. There are meaningful discussions that take place. You can expose your, your darkest or your brightest moments. You can shed tears. You can have that fellowship that I think is so, so, so important for men today, especially in the world today, that I don't think you can have in any other group that I've ever been, well, certainly not in my life, I've ever been exposed to a group of men or people, not just men, because there are more and more women joining us. 
But to me, that's what Holy Smokes is. It's a fellowship of amazing, amazing people. If you were to have a Holy Smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Jesus Christ. Can't name him. Oh, can't name him. Nope. I specifically exclude Jesus because I didn't. Okay. So many people would, within this community, would either feel a religious obligation to do it whether it was genuine or, or it's a religious obligation. I wanted to take that off the table okay, and get so to the next three. three people that I could sit and have a conversation with. Exactly. Mahatma Gandhi. Ooh. I think he's been named once by someone else. Really? Yeah. Why? Just to see his spiritual outlook on life and how he could put up with so much and what it would take to be as tolerant as he is or was. I'd love to sit and talk with my dad a lot more. I figured he'd probably be one. Yeah, and uh, there's so many people. Thomas Jefferson. Ooh, why? As one of the founding fathers of this country, and I think the most significant member of the founding fathers of this country, I'd like to see what his views for the country were, really were, and what he would think of where we are today. I guess that'd be my three right now. Last question. If we're to meet one year from today, and I got a bottle of that Jameson Black Barrel Irish whiskey, what are we celebrating? The fact that I'm still vertical. (laughs) A year from now, we could celebrate anything, but that would, uh, I mean, we could celebrate so much as members of Holy Smokes. Our belief in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, There's so much to celebrate there every single day. It doesn't have to be a year from now. We could meet tomorrow Mm. and do the same thing. Neil McKinnon, my man, I so appreciate you. Thanks for being on the Holy Smokes Podcast. Thank you so much. 